0: And I became the first female bank manager at TSB.
1: Where's the next risk? Where's the next shock? Where's the next insolvency?
0: We don't want companies to not invest. We don't want companies to not be future focused.
1: How can we make the most of this type of technology?
0: The CICM in various guises has been going since 1939.
1: Hello and welcome to the On The Spot podcast. My name is Craig Evans. I'm the CEO of Company Watch. And today I'm joined by Sue Chappell, chief executive of the CICM. Welcome, Sue.
0: Welcome. You too, Craig. Lovely to be here.
1: Yeah, so good to see you. A n- nice sunny day today on Tuesday, just after the Easter break. So, you get up to much over Easter?
0: Yeah, we've gone out walking and managed to avoid most of the rain. So, oh, that's a win. You?
1: Oh, that's good. That's good. Well, I got caught by it yesterday <laughs> in the Brecon Beacons. So, uh, yeah, it wasn't all sunshine. That's for sure over the weekend. So. And the
0: other one was managed to tidy away pretty much all of the Easter eggs. So, don't have to feel guilty about
1: that anymore. Oh, that's fantastic. Good well, I had done. one of mine stolen. Unfortunately, <gasps> we had our stepchildren <laughs> with us over the weekend, and uh, one of them sneakily put mine into his uh, in, into his suitcase and took it off on <laughs> away. So, uh, yeah, I didn't get anything. Unfortunately, when it came to chocolate, that's not a bad thing these days, is it? Yeah, so I just thought you and I have known each other for an awful long time, um, so I just thought we'd do a little bit of fun, have a little bit of icebreaker just to get things going, um, and it gives me the chance to maybe find out some things that I don't know about <laughs> you, because I, clearly I probably know quite a lot. But So I thought we'd introduce the podcast with a couple of light-hearted questions. The first thing I'm going to ask you is, when you were in school, what job did you want to do and why?
0: There was never any doubt, Craig. When I was in school, I was going to be the teacher, not a teacher, the teacher. teacher. And my first school report, aged five, which my mother still hangs on to and likes to show anybody at the drop of a hat, said, age five, Susan would do much better if she spent more time on her work and less time supervising the class. (laughs) So there was never a question. I was always going to be the teacher. And then uh, as I as I went up to big school and bigger school um and got older and I, I grew up in East Devon and I became more and more aware that actually I wanted to have some money and I wanted to leave home and I I wanted a car and I wanted all those all those grown-up things which actually required some money. And being a teacher would have required a lot more education than I was really prepared to do. So I left school at 16 and my uh Uh, My two things that I was going to do was I was either going to join the RAF or I was going to work in a bank. And the reason for those two things were at at the point that we left school, there wasn't that much employment around, actually. It was quite high unemployment. Yeah. And and, um, the service industry wasn't anything like it is now. Yeah. And growing up in Sidmouth, all of the banks were there. There were six banks at the time and uh, banks that uh, most of the people listening probably never heard of. (laughs) Midland Bank was there and there were umpteen building societies. So I applied to all of the banks, and I thought if I don't get into a job at the banks, I will join the RAF. You can see there was never any doubt in my mind about these things. There were yeah, no binary yeah, yeah, decisions. Clearly. And I got offered a job at 16, sweet 16, I got offered a job in four of the banks, um, and I chose to go and work for the TSB. So what? I I went to work for TSB at 16, obviously didn't do A-levels, didn't go to university, didn't do any of those things, but I did my banking exams in in lieu of that. and and. They are quite hard work, banking yeah, staff, So I did yeah. I did those qualifications, and I became the first female bank manager at the TSB. Wow! So teaching kind of went on hold because I decided I didn't want to do that, and it, it had always been a little thing at the back of my mind because I kind of always thought I am bossy. I'm never one know <laughs> um, I thought I'd quite like to go back to it, and the opportunity came when I was when I was heading up um, the revenue department for one of the big utilities. Yeah, because we had a program of of staff going through CICM qualifications, and they needed someone to teach them. Yeah, And so I went off to college to do a conversion course, to do the teacher training, to do higher education training. And it became very clear to me very quickly that I did no longer want to be a teacher. <laughs> it was uh, an awful lot of admin and not much teaching. Yeah, And so that, that particular itch was scratched later in life. Yeah. So, Oh, but yeah.
1: I didn't know that you were the first female <laughs> bank yeah. manager. Well, yeah. well done. We yeah. claimed the fame in terms of that. Yeah,
0: so. yeah, although you know, TSB doesn't really exist in those forms.
1: No, anymore. I guess it's it's gone on to morph into, like you say, a very yeah. different thing yeah. to what it was then. Certainly. It was it was my original bank, I must admit, the TSB. Yeah. So I, I know, loved I remember it. it I thought
0: I would never ever leave the bank. And yeah. then and then Lloyd's took over and it was a very different yeah. place. Yeah. In those days, it sounds strange thing now. Lloyds didn't really have any women. Doing anything except no. making the tea. I mean, it sounds ridiculous now, but <laughs> it, you know, hell, it man? was that was the case. Yeah, very draconian approach to the world compared to TSB, which in those days was quite a young progressive yeah. bank. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um,
0: and the opportunity came to leave, and I went off and worked at Southwest Water and spent ten very happy years there.
1: So. Wow! 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 Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, second bit of fun question is: Who has had the most important impact on you, and why?
0: Well, the person that's had the most conscious impact on me was Mr. Coke. And Mr. Coke was the first manager at the TSB when I first started work. He interviewed me, he recruited me. Um, you called him Mr. Coke. And even now, if I ever see him, yeah. I call him Mr. Coke. And he says, Call me Peter. I cannot call him Peter <laughs> any more than Fly the Moon. I call him Mr. Coke. Um, and he taught me, um, Diligence, responsibility, accountability, resilience, doing as you're told when you have to. um, All all those sorts of things, the work ethic, which has just stayed with me, just doing the right thing. Yeah. Um, Being kind, being honest, all of those things, just being a good human, all came from Mr. Coke. And I have never forgotten that. I'm sure there will be, well, there are hundreds of people that have impacted me. In unconscious and subconscious ways, but he's the one that I really, really remember. Yeah,
1: it sounds like he laid down some very firm rules for you, some yeah. ground rules, and 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 some some things to steer life by. Really, well,
0: people who know me will have, will have heard me say this before, but um, it was very different times. Should caveat this by saying it's very different times, and um, as people who know me will know, I have blonde hair, and a friend of mine henna my hair henna was something we had in the olden days it was a natural dye and it made your hair go this beautiful shiny chestnut red and my friend trudy did it to me my hair went orange <laughs> like a carrot orange and i went into work the next day i was probably 17 and mr coke said uh, susan a word so off i go into the office hence i hate being called susan now um i went into the office and he said susan what have you done to your hair and I said, sweet 17, Trudy headed at Mr. Coke. And he said, I suggest you take the rest of the day off and sort it out. And <laughs> off I went to the hairdressers and sorted it out. Different times.
1: Different times completely. <laughs> yeah, you certainly couldn't get away with that now. That's for sure. Jeez. Wow. And you
0: wouldn't want to, would you? No, let's face you, you it. You
1: absolutely wouldn't want it, so. to. Yeah. Oh, no. Thanks for that insight. That's great. <laughs> and um, lovely to hear the story about Mr. Coke. He clearly had a uh, big, important uh, place the pain in you. Uh, in your life, really, so that's that's great. Most people will know you, Sue. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people will know you that are listening to uh, this podcast. Um, but I just thought it would be an opportunity for you to give um, people a little bit of uh, an insight into your role at the ICM, um, what you're currently doing, and how long have you been at the, uh, at the ICM? So, um, well, it's
0: the CICM, and I must pick you up on yes, that. Yes, absolutely, we are absolutely. And, and hugely proud of, of being chartered. So I've been a member of the professional body since I was at Southwest Water uh, and I have been, I think I've had my 20 year membership now. I'm, yes, definitely over 20 years. And the reason that I joined the organisation was because my finance director at the time said to me, "Does your does this credit and debt stuff that you do, uh, because when I was at Southwest Water, it was when the water reforms came did, came in, which meant you could no longer disconnect people for not paying their water bill. So we had to think very differently about how we how we manage debt, and that's when I got really fascinated in in debt and credit collections and all those things. Yeah. And he said, "Is there an organisation or a professional body that does this?" And I said, oh, I don't know." And he said, "Well, I suggest you find out and join it," because he was an accountant and right. obviously belonged to yeah. to the council. So that's how I found it and joined it, and I've been a member ever since. Um, I sat on the advisory council, I sat on the executive board, and I was fortunate enough to go and work for CICM in 2018 in a new position, which was director of strategic relationships. And this was where where our relationship company was started, actually, where we were working with partners, um, creating proper partnerships where there was uh, exposure, integrity, credibility of partnering with the professional body for the organisation, but also... Lots of knowledge and information and insight coming back from the partner for the members in the wider business. And I absolutely loved that role. Thought, apart from the job at the TSB, I thought, I thought I'd absolutely gone to heaven. It was such a delightful role and I really loved it. Again, thought it would never change. And then uh, in March, 2020, I got asked to pick up acting CEO role because Philip King, who was the previous chief executive, was moving across to be the small business commissioner. Yeah. This had never entered my head. Might might seem strange. I am really not ambitious. I am tenacious and resilient yeah. and energetic and all of those things, which sometimes can be mistaken for ambition, but it really isn't. And so I was completely floored by this. Having And this was March 2020, so we had just fought our way back from Spain, yeah. having chased the ports all the way up as they were rapidly closing. And i was appointed by the executive board as acting ceo on the 20th of march 2020 and three days later we went into lockdown
1: lockdown yeah so
0: that was kind of a baptism of fire never been a ceo before clearly along with the rest of the world never been in lockdown before all of those things um and then i was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to actually apply for the role and i was uh, formally appointed in in june of that year so that's that's kind of how I've ended up doing what I'm doing. My whole career has been like this. It's just been kind of, you know, just, Fortuitous as things have happened to me along the
1: way. Sometimes it is about timing, like you say. Um, yeah, yeah with myself joining Company Watch when I did last year, um, I didn't I wasn't expecting Joe to leave when no. she did, certainly. And uh, you know, a lot of people have asked me, Oh, well, you must have known. And yeah. I honestly, I'll repeat that you you know, the answer I always say, which is no, I absolutely didn't. I was looking forward to working with Joe um for, for quite some time as I'm sure you were yeah. with Philip. And, yeah. and, and you know, jo these things though, are about she? time. And no, Philip absolutely, didn't know. So absolutely. You know, no, stuff happens
0: and I, and I think you have to, You, I suppose, you know, what I am prepared to do is kind is of stick my neck out a little bit and yeah. take a bit of a chance and kind of, you know, yeah. bumble on through and see, you know, what's the worst that could happen? Let's not think about that. But it's it's kind of worked out okay. And I yeah. absolutely love it. I've a, a worked with an amazing team.
1: Yeah.
0: And it and I think probably like yourself, you you realise as you start to get into the role, all of the stuff that you've done along the way. How it has kind of helped
1: yeah. steer you. Because I think, yeah. I
0: think all jobs are about people, yeah. whatever it is you do. And the higher up an organisation you get, it kind of becomes only about people. Yeah. It isn't You're really about anything right. else yeah. at all. Absolutely it's about right. your team. It's about for us. It's about our members. It's about our partners, clients, and, and everybody working in the wider industry. So, you know, those groundings from Mr. Coke about doing the right thing. Yeah. And, and all yeah. of that has stood me in good stead.
1: And in terms of career, you've had clearly, um, you know, w- we've had an insight into your start of your career and an insight into what you're doing currently with the CICM. Um, but talk us through, give, give people a little bit of insight in terms of w- what else have you done throughout such an mm-hmm. illustrious career.
0: <laughs> such a, a bumbling around from place to place <laughs> career. So I, I, I've always, ever since um, I joined Southwest Water and the Wolf Reform came in, I became fascinated by debt. And we went through a process at Southwest Water, again, another company, absolutely loved it, never thought I would leave, but stuff changes and you just just don't know what's around the corner, do you? And we'd worked on a project to outsource the customer service piece and the call center piece. And then I got the opportunity to either stay and be the contract manager, which basically meant I would have been on the other side of the fence policing my old team, which I didn't really want to do. Yeah. Or or I could go and do something else. So I decided to go and do something else. And I went to work at Seven Trent Water. Right. At the time when Seven Trent Water was setting up um, a, subs- a non-regulated subsidiary under the regulatory regulated organization, but specifically focused on helping other utilities to collect debt. Okay. In the consumer space. Right. Um, so I so I went off and did that for four years, absolutely loved it. But we always had set that business up as a grow to sell. Always and we grew it and sold it. And then and then I went to work at uh where did I go after? I went to Convergis, which is a white label company. Most people will never have heard of it. Did all of the collections for Barclay Card, for post office, uh for Vodafone at the time. So it's um no, not not, not Vodafone. Not Vodafone. Oh god, I can't remember, but definitely wasn't Vodafone. Oh, one of the mobile phone companies. I can't remember which one I see that's age for you. was a yeah. long time ago. But huge global organization and that was my first experience really of working for a massive global organization american owned yeah so it was always on and that that's quite a learning experience if, if you've never done that before because i'd always work for uk companies so as an example you'd go into work in the morning and there would already be 50 emails yeah. because somewhere else in the world it's the day is just ending or, yeah. or you know whatever else so, that I really, really enjoyed. That found it. I, I learned an awful lot, but it was quite uh, disparate compared to what I've been used to because it was such a massive organisation. Yeah, uh, and it employed twenty thousand staff worldwide or something like this. It was absolutely huge, and um, I, I, th- I had to decide whether I was going to go for the promotion in the organisation or whether I was going to move on. And I thought about it long and hard, and then an opportunity came up at EDF, managing their. Commercial revenue team, the B2B revenue team. And yeah. I thought, oh, back to utility.
1: Yeah. Too,
0: too good an opportunity to miss. Um, and so I went and did that. I did that for 10 years. I absolutely loved it at EDF. Fabulous yeah. company, very innovative company, obviously French-owned. Yeah. Interesting dynamic because in France the, the company is state-owned. Yeah. But in the UK, of course, it isn't. But yeah. the French partner is the parent, French parent is the parent.
1: Yeah.
0: But the way they treat their people the way they develop their people, the openness of um, wanting everyone to be who they are. I'd not really come across diversity and, and equality because I joined EDF in 2010. Okay. So we weren't really talking about this stuff no. in the wider world, but yeah. EDF were already ahead of their game. Yeah. They already yeah. had lots of groups set up. Where So that was that was hugely beneficial and, and such a nice environment to work in i
1: bet that was quite refreshing like you say 2010 yeah. it really wasn't at the levels where it is and today and having
0: come from utilities which yeah. you know for all sorts of reasons aren't aren't always first to the investment party because they're investing in other things yeah of course um yeah it was it was fascinating and always ahead of always ahead of stuff edf and of course they were building this new new still are building this yeah. new nuclear uh, plant, so that was really great. But then I got an opportunity to go and work in a joint venture with the Cabinet Office uh, in Dessa, which was part owned by TDX, part owned by the Cabinet Office. And this was about working with central government to help them understand the level of debt, and to work with them to use private sector capability to help collect public sector debt. Right. And as the biggest creditor in Europe, yeah, that's you know they're the government are always open to, to looking at ways to do that. So that was really, really interesting. I've never worked with central government before. And I think I could say without fear or favour, I have never experienced anything like it. And I probably will never experience <laughs> anything like it again. Some of the brightest, cleverest, funniest people you will ever meet uh, work in central government and, and particularly in the cabinet office. But there is such a fundamental difference between private sector and public sector. Yeah. And I think the most obvious one is that when you've been used to working in private sector, at some point, you've got to generate some income
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> and probably sooner rather than later. And the funding regimes in government are much different. It's than very that. different. Isn't it, it? It's very different than that. And and so I, I worked there for two years. And then I, I think, you know, for me, it was about, well, either I'm going to stay in this, go down the civil service route, Yep. Yeah. Or I'm not. Yeah. And I and I and I didn't. Yeah. And I think um, you know, the opportunity came up at CICM and here we are.
1: Here we are today. <laughs> Back here up we today. are today. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of the role with CICM, there's lots of stuff that I'd love to chat about in terms of what you're doing. And obviously as as we we've started and, and just finished the first quarter, starting the second quarter. Um, lots of news, lots of headline stuff constantly. We don't go a week by without somebody talking about insolvencies or inflation or interest rates or the war in Ukraine. So, you know, this is really my opportunity to get Sue Chappell's view on, you know, on, or maybe the CRCM view as well in, in terms of, you know, some of those issues. So, you um, for me, one of the one of the things that a lot of people are asking us is what are the key industries that we're focusing on from mm. a risk point of view? So you and I have talked to plenty enough at various forums mm. a, about those key industries, but I guess... What are the key industries that the CICM is looking at in mm. 2023? Um, because that probably is more more insightful. Because I'm sure everybody's sick to death of me talking about construction <laughs> and hospitality and retail. So I really wanted to get some insight uh, in terms of what are the key industries that the CICM is looking at.
0: Yeah, and I, I suppose we come from a we come at it from a slightly different angle because we're the professional body of the industry. Mm. So we're there for all, for all our members and for the whole industry. And we're, what we're seeing are, are different issues and they are really quite starkly different issues now for different organizations. There is there is still money swilling about the economy from the last three years. There's still lots of questions about where that is and how it's gonna be repaid, if it's gonna be repaid. Yeah. So that there is there is cash out there and it is floating around.
1: Yeah.
0: But the, the areas that come up for concern about actually being able to deliver what they need to deliver, even though viable businesses, even though cash flow coming through, retail and hospitality because of staffing issues. Yeah. And it's a very different issue. And, and I was only reading a report on the way up today by one of the economists, you know, just confirming again, there's nine million people missing out of the economy. And these are the sort of student age people who would have gone into those worlds, but they've either delayed a gap year or they've extended their all of those things. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: There's the um, younger, older people who just haven't gone back to work after the pandemic yeah. because they found that they didn't need to. And then we've got a lot of people on long-term sick that weren't there before. Yeah. Um, that Obviously, the government's doing a lot of work to try and encourage those people back into work. But if those 9 million people were back in work, or even 50% of them, that would create a, lot it's of a huge
1: options. number, nine million, it's isn't absolutely it? Absolutely massive.
0: When you think something like 35 million people eligible at work age in, yeah. in the country, something like that. I yeah. it might, might not be accurate, I mean, but it's something like that. It's a hell of a percentage of people who are not there. Yeah. So that's one of the issues that that comes up a lot. And how that how we try to support that is that's about companies wanting the staff that they do have to be better equipped, better skilled to help their resilience to find ways to develop and support those staff in order to retain them yeah. you know it's because yeah. it's not just about paying people more and more money um because at some point inflation will will go down so companies do have to be careful about yeah. pay, you know paying these really high salaries so there's that then there's um Construction, always, always one one for us with clients and members uh, and partners around construction because it's such a complex business model. Yeah. And the, the trail of um, smaller businesses which support it is so long. Um, and, you know, as everyone knows, Philip did an astounding amount of work around payment for small business companies. And yeah we still continues to do, so. and he still continues to do that, and and we we've we've picked up a lot of those relationships as well to work with that, and, yeah. and really helping to get through some of the um some of the negative press to the detail, and, and working with Liz Barclay, the Small Business Commissioner, and and Terry of um, Good Business Pays, because yeah. a lot of the issues that we see when we're when we're working with members and partners and clients is that smaller businesses don't know how to get paid. So of course there's the issues with some of the bigger businesses not being paid, yeah. not not paying on time. But th- you know that that's being dealt with. There's the issue of organize smaller organizations being absolute experts at what it is they do, they make, they buy, they sell, they create all of those things. Often one, two, three band organizations they are not experts in invoicing on time or sending the invoice to the right person. The number of times we hear that an invoice has been sent to Maria in accounts because that's who. They were working with, but it's not Maria in Accounts that's going to get you paid. It's probably going to be the payments team in Poland or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's a there's lots of stuff around that that we do. Yeah. Um, and I suppose those those will be the those will be the main ones. And fintech companies are we're working a lot with fintech companies because they bring such a wealth of information. Not about what they sell because we're not interested in that, and we're not interested in our members being being guinea pigs for sales yeah, but what we are interested in our partners bringing is what they know
1: yeah yeah and yeah. that's
0: that's hugely helpful because I think there's we're still seeing in the industry the investment in um, technology, AI software for improving yeah. the OGC processes, all of those things it is really done at organisational level about cost savings yeah and that's and i think that we see more of that in our industry because we are very rarely the thing the company does the thing the company does is always something else yeah yeah and yeah. there's a there's a you know part of the business and so they don't very often get the investment they get the they and get it, the saving
1: is that is that sort of plug in the gap that that nine million people that are out of uh, out of the the employment bracket if you like or 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 like you say that number if if we say there's 35 million people employed you know is that a way now to deal with that nine million that's extracted itself away because businesses do need to continue and if You know, if there's automation, are our members looking at different ways of automating and saying, well, look, we can't get the mums on seats. We've tried. We're continuously trying. And it's just, you know, it's it's a revolving door. So therefore, we've got to look at alternatives. Yeah. Is automation one of those that you're seeing?
0: Definitely one of them. And I think there's much more confidence around it now in the organizations that use it well in their teams. That they use the automation for the things that automation can do, the mundane, the repetitive, yeah. Yeah. all of those things, and use their people better trained, better skilled, to focus on the things that actually real people need to yeah. do. And real people will probably always need to do, yeah, regardless of what of what technology comes in, except for if you listen to the to you know the talk around chat GBT and those yeah. sort of things. Yeah. And and I think it's uh you know that that's one of the areas that we're Clearly, starting to focus on now because if if you've ever had to play with it yourself, you ask it to do anything, and it it's alarming how kind of okay it is. Yeah. Without yeah. any training. Completely agree. And it's you know you can't. I, I, I typed in recently, you know, how to be a credit controller, and and, and although you know it gives you ten thousand words or something, yeah, it actually is pretty adequate. Yeah. It's yeah. not going to be a transfer. But with some help, it could do that. And of course, there's loads of things that need to be done around plagiarism and security and copyright and all of those things. But I do think we as a country, and particularly us as an industry, need to focus on how it can help, yeah. not why it can't, Yeah. and and stop worrying about those things. Because will will we ever go back to the workforce levels that we've used, been used to seeing? I think it's unlikely.
1: I, I um, doubt it very much, like you say.
0: I think it's unlikely because I think you know the last three years have changed us all in in some way or another. Yeah. And, and you know whether we like it or not, we're we're all different from that experience. And I think that's one of the interesting things. We are all different from that experience, and pretty much all of us experienced it differently. Yeah. And and so I think we we're, we're very unlikely to go back to how it was before. Some things have settled, but thinking differently about. Kind of making technology your slave.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not
0: being the slave of technology, I think, has definitely got a part to play in the future.
1: I agree. I think it's it's educating ourselves in terms of, as you say, how can we make the most of this type of technology, the AI. It's a, it's a huge area of interest for Company Watch. We've always thought of ourselves as being a little bit cutting edge. Um, we're working, you know, with a couple of universities at the moment on a particular AI project. That, that really is exciting mm. um you know we, we can't share too much at this stage but it, it is fascinating in terms of the area mm. that we're going down in terms of that so I'm educating myself and the team here are educating themselves you know uh, about how how can we embrace AI and how can our world of risk modeling and forecasting really use it in a different way mm. so um yeah so it, it's really interesting for us as well and sort of that brings me on <clears> to the the you know one of the the big things things with the CICM has been education Um, um, and I'm interested in sort of understanding you may have already touched on a few what are the hot topics around education you know um, particularly around CICM members what, what what are they asking for from an education point of view
0: it is interesting because the education is our main thing education is what we've got our charter for uh, educating the economy in all things credit and collection. so we're we're very proud of it and we work very hard at it it's an absolute mainstay of, of us so the qualifications always they're always high and interestingly we've seen a take up uh, an increased take up of people wanting to do qualifications and of course they go right up to level 5 which is degree level yeah and Training and qualifications actually have increased, and I think we, we we all think that's because of what I was saying before. This is organisations investing in their teams, yeah, because you want to keep they want to keep the good people, and individuals want to learn and grow, and so it's a you yeah. know, it's a kind of a win win. So qualifications definitely, and obviously those the, those are always evolving. They're off qual regulated, so we work very closely with the regulator on those. In terms of actual training, communication is always. At the top of the list and that's at all levels and yeah. um, so this is uh, one one of the ones that became very popular during the pandemic was one that uh, Jules who's our content resource manager and one of our brilliant trainers she developed specifically because as organizations had furloughed lots of people there were organizations that had staff who weren't necessarily the collections team having to collect so she did a bite-sized crash course in how to how to be a collector and how to communicate as such and that's that so that always is is really has a really good take up and so the com, the, the titles of these things stay the same but the context and the content changes but always about communication how to communicate with the customer, how to communicate with your clients how mm-hmm. to to, all of those things and technology. How to use technology? Do I need to be frightened of technology? What's the right technology for us? Yeah. So those yeah. those kind of things are the are the always the the two and managing managing staff. Yeah. Um. And and I think it's it's is interesting because for all the uniqueness of everything that happens in the industry, there's an awful lot of similarity. Yeah. And I think you know where we started this conversation probably is, it's always about people. Yeah, People yeah. buy from people, people sell to people, yeah. people pay people, people don't pay people. It's always about people. Yeah. So if you can get the communication right and the, the technical level of knowledge that you need about your organization and the products that it is you're selling or buying, then you've got the you've got the win-win yeah
1: i I would completely agree And, and i think in businesses you know the businesses i've been involved with whenever we do employment or engagement surveys Communication is always top of the agenda for everybody. And I think, you know, any business that thinks it's got communication right um, really should ask itself, has it? You know, because, you know, we're we're constantly evolving. I think businesses do need to constantly evolve completely. Um, And I
0: think one of the things that we've we've all learned, we were just talking about it a minute ago, everyone experienced something differently in the last three years. Three years, yeah. And so even if you think you're communicating correctly – what we actually now know is that we all experience stuff in a different way we hear stuff in yeah, a different way completely. we receive stuff in a different way we you know some people look as so though they're listening but they can't actually you know they're not it's all so you know it is it's really back to that old thing kind of tell them tell them tell them check them it's all that isn't it and it, I is, think it is we've just become much more consciously aware of that yeah um, which I don't think is a bad thing
1: yeah and even in terms of the engagement it's i was watching something fascinating on tv the other day to do with yeah, somebody being on a, a on on a video conference, and actually they put two AI robots into the conference, and nobody realised that wow. they they were two AI robots. Wow! Because they were they communicating can, yeah. and, and they were picking up on stuff and reacting. Yeah. When they told you who they were, and you look back, you could sort of say, yeah. "Okay, I get it now," but you really had to look quite hard. And at you it. weren't
0: expecting to see no, it. No, of course. And the brain is very good at
1: yeah. 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 The brain wants, wants to, to see, see what it wants to hear, like yeah, you say. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was a, it was fascinating. And, and like you say, a little bit scary as well. Um, and that, that sort of leads me on to really the future of CICM. So with all this AI and all this technology floating about, you know, if you were going to look forward three, possibly five years, what is the future of CICM and how do you see that evolving?
0: Well, let's hope it continues to to grow because it would be terrible if it didn't. Under my uh, under my uh, uh, guidance, we the CRCM in various guises has been going since 1939. Wow! When it was set up as the Institute of Credit Men, of course, because as we know, women didn't really start doing anything useful for a long time <laughs> after that. Um, Not until you became <laughs> manager at TSB by the sounds of this. Um, so and then and then there was a little hiatus, because obviously yeah. there was a load of other stuff going on in 1939. But you know, we've been around for over 80 years. I
1: wasn't aware of that. And I'll be the honest.
0: and the the premise of the professional body, like all professional bodies, is to raise awareness of credit management collections, cash receivable as a career and as an industry. We take yeah. that very seriously, raising awareness. Is to promote best practice. So we again we work very hard on that. We we help organisations. We have the CICMQ accreditation, which is like the ISO of the credit management collections world. And those organisations that have achieved that accreditation become part of the best practice network. And we support our members, clients, uh, partners, and the wider industry throughout. So we're, we're multi layered. And all of those things will always be needed, and and I think the context changes slightly, and obviously we've embraced technology much more. And you know, in those in that respect, I think the we we would all look back now and say, do you know what? Those three years really speeded that up. Yeah. Because we wouldn't have done it so quickly. Because like most organisations, we would have been, can we afford it? Have we got? There was no choice. If we wanted to continue to support our members, we had to get some digital stuff out there. So we did that. Yeah, yeah. And now, and now we've got those things. So the future looks very rosy. I think the investment that organisations are making in their teams to support them, yeah, and develop them and grow them and retain the talent is is at an all time high. We've not, we've not, because we've Fantastic. not, we've not seen the employment market like this before. It's a very no. strange thing, and I think that the. the the underlying thing that we're experiencing across the economy and in the industry is is the uncertainty. Mm. And usually we would look back over history and history has always been a good indicator of the future. And I think we're in this hiatus period at the moment where the last few years isn't really an indication of the future. And we don't quite know what it's going to look like. We've got media and social media that just specializes in being harbingers of doom yeah completely um, I, I mean as someone who loves the english language i'm frustrated by the amount of times the word crisis gets used yeah when what we actually mean is quite a tricky challenge that with some really hard work and some proper Couldn't thinking and some uh you know might solve these things so i, I think the recovery in the economy, for me, is all about consumer confidence because yeah. consumers are at the heart of everything. Yeah, and for consumers to be confident, the media need to stop being so negative. Yeah, yeah. And, and let some confidence regain. I, I and I know I'm at the top end of optimism, but I but I really do think things no, I things do. Are it's it's around. really
1: hard, and it's hard for companies like us doing what we do. Because you know, people are asking us constantly in terms of where's the next risk, where's the next shock, where's the next insolvency, you know, um, and and you know, we're we're trying to put positive, you, you know, spins on things to, like you say, because that's going to mm. get us out of, of of this completely. And yes, we are in we are in a challenging situation. Let's face, yeah, you, you know, let's make no bones about that right now. And it's still going to be a bumpy ride for twenty twenty three. But I think. You know the inflation spike uh, has gone very high and very fast. Uh, let's hope it goes the other way down the other side of the slope uh, as as fast, uh, and that you know we do get into a recovery phase mm. far sooner than you know what we've seen in previous recessions, um, and and stuff. You know, challenging. Let's say challenging, not crisis issues in the past. Um, and and I think that's going to be the case myself. Mm. Um, certainly, um, I can't let you go without asking you. One final question in terms of what is Sue Chapel's view on the main challenges for business now as we come into Q2, Q3 and Q4? So really for the remainder of 2023, how do you see it with all your experience?
0: It, it, it is this confidence around the uncertainty. And I think, you know, all the, all the organisations that we talk to, it's about sticking to what you know. It's about the basics. You've got to have cash flow. You've got to have money in the bank. You've got to be able to pay the salaries. It doesn't matter how good the order book is mm-hmm. if there's no money in the bank. It doesn't matter how fabulous a customer is if they haven't paid their invoice. A customer hasn't paid their invoice is not a customer. It's a thief. Yeah, taught me that, and I've never <laughs> forgotten it. It's and it's absolutely true. So it's I think when times are challenging, sticking to the knitting is never a bad thing to do. Just really focus back to on the basics. Things you're back to basics. Do it well. Do the work well deliver on time, get paid and focus forward. But I think the other side of that is we don't want companies to not invest. We don't want companies to not be future focused. So we do have to take that little bit of element of risk as well. But if you're doing it from a firm base, a confident base of a sound client base, then that's the best place to go through. And above all, just try and stay positive. Yeah. Because I think, you know, I go back to this, you know, the media and the social media rhetoric is negative because that's what sells stories. But actually, when you're in the real economy world and you look around, it doesn't feel like that. You and I have been to endless events over recent years where the economists will come in, Bank Anchor of England speakers will come in and tell you how bad it is. And all, all the senior leaders from various organisations will sit around the room saying they're kind of still waiting for it to happen. Yeah, so that there's there is some positive feeling out there i think we just need to keep doing what we do well
1: yeah and yeah i couldn't agree more <laughs> couldn't agree more and that's that's a fantastic uh, sort of place to to close, I guess, in terms of keeping things positive. So we'll end <laughs> on that very high note. Sue, it's been an absolute pleasure, as always, to have a chat with you today. Uh, it's been really insightful, and I'm sure this is going to be a great podcast uh, for people to get more of an insight into Sue Chapel and the CICM. Thank you ever so much for agreeing to do the podcast with us today. Um, and I wish you all the very best of success with CRCM for the future. Thanks, Craig. Thanks, pleasure. Sue. Thanks Bye. a lot. Bye. <laughs>